What's good? What's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Hogs Haven Podcast, powered by SB Nation. You can find us at hogshaven.com, at hogshaven on Twitter, and on Facebook. You know who I am. I'm your host, Molly Maul, Jamal Forrest. You can find me on Twitter at Let Maul Tell It. Do not forget the you. Um, look, man. Y'all know why we here. Giants, Commanders, Sunday Night Football, this upcoming Sunday. Um, it's going to be a um, interesting matchup uh, from the standpoint of what we just saw two weeks ago in the tie. Um, a game that, you know, both sides thought that they can ultimately win and, and had chances to win and wasn't able to get it done for, for X amount of reasons. Um several different reasons from an execution standpoint on both sides of the football for both teams uh, ultimately led to that 2020 tie um and heading to this week uh i'm gonna start it off right out the gate this is the biggest stretch of football that taylor heineke has ever played in the nfl um i've said this a couple times this week and as we get ready for a game preview show uh by the way Nick Filato of SB Nation's Big Blue View is going to be joining us on this episode. Uh, he jo- he chopped it up with me yesterday evening um, on the Trapper Dive podcast, and uh, I want to make sure that I cross play or, or whatever the word is, um, share it on, on Hogshaven as well. It's a good interview. Um, so that's how we'll play this episode. But uh, first and foremost, to get this out, out of the way early, biggest stretch of football in Taylor Heineke's NFL career, plain and simple. Uh, when you think about stretches, you're not talking about individual moments, right? Um, you look at the 2020 season where he came in two times, Carolina as a uh, at four spot duty, and then Tampa Bay starting a full game in the playoffs. Uh, one-off moments. Um, that was a huge moment of Taylor Heineke's career, obviously, right? Do Make or break, you have nothing to lose. Um, and how do you respond? And he really made the best of that situation. Uh, last year, uh, when you head into the season in 2021, you're not expecting to start. Um, nobody's expecting you to start. Um, they, you had some fans after that first game, <laughs> that debut game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? You had some fans um, that's in your corner now that's saying that he should have the opportunity to, to play in 2021 uh, because he may be the future. Uh, however, uh, after Ryan Fitzpatrick goes down again, you're viewed as the backup. Um you know, that's spot duty. That's here two or three games, four games, not a 17 game sample size, sample size, because at that moment, again, remember, there wasn't much in terms of like during the regular season where people didn't know or people knew that uh, Fitzpatrick wasn't returning. Like there was some time period where nobody knew when he was coming back, but the thought was he could come back. Um, So that didn't happen like uh, Fitzpatrick wasn't shelved for IR until like middle of the year, if not late in the season. I don't remember um, at this point. But again, not viewed as the starter. And um, so the expectations weren't high. Uh, nobody really expected much of you. Um, and if you performed well, good. Like this is a good opportunity for now. Everybody to see what you can do in a full game sample size this year. Um, again, similar situation weren't viewed as a starter. The team knew they needed a quarterback. The difference is, again, this offseason, Ron Rivera told everybody, 
anybody and everybody that will listen. We're just a quarterback away. I think that this team is in position to turn the corner. I think that they have shown that they can turn, they're capable of turning the corner, their maturity, their mindset, all of that stuff is there. It's present. I, I like what I see. Um, so I expect things to get turned around for the better. This is a year where we take a big leap or where we take the leap. So that is speaking not just from a sense of we have a quarterback, but from a sense of I think that our team is there capable of doing better things and showing that this year. So, again, coming into the season not as a starter, Carson Wentz is your guy, right? And you end up one and four or two and four with Carson, and in that sixth game, he gets hurt due to injury. You have the rest of the way up until he's ready to return, and the coaches feel like he should come back into the game. But at the end of the day, you are dictating, you meaning Taylor, are dictating when Carson Wentz comes back in the game based on your play and based on how the team is playing. Six one and one in your last eight games, over your eight games, or excuse me, six one and one for Washington over their last eight games. Um, I believe Taylor is five one and one. Um, but you come out of the bye week at the end of the season, towards the end of the season, with four games left, and you are in the sixth seed of the NFL playoffs. You have never been in that position in your NFL career. You have never had uh, this opportunity where you're not clawing your way like at the end of the season. Like they, they did their clawing in the middle of the season, but you're at the end of the season. You you had not hey, – let's start this in safe mode. Um, you are not in a position where you have to fight your way back into this, uh, into this uh, season and, 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 and hope that you get a seventh seed at the end of the year. You are granted – as of week 15, a slot to the playoffs. Now you have to finish strong. So for Taylor, a guy who has been very inconsistent this season, who hasn't provided much value in the red zone, right? Who's had a lot of turnover-worthy throws, but luck has been on this side this year. Who has come clutch at the end of games in certain in, in some of his starts. All of that needs to be factored in and moving forward uh, to see how Washington can perform or how Washington looks over these last four games and how they, and how Taylor Heineke specifically looks over these last four games. Like, how does everything turn around for the better uh, from a performance standpoint? Can we get consistent, above-average quarterback play in these last stretch of games? Can the quarterback avoid being the reason why Washington has lost this particular game. If he can avoid that, he's in good money. He's good money. Furthermore, he is in a contract year. That man is in a contract year. This game on Sunday night is going to have a lot to do with so many different things surrounding Taylor. Eyes are going to be on him because they know what this rec the record has been under I mean, regardless of what the truth is in terms of like the actual team being better, the defense playing better, the run game being a factor, at the end of the day from a national spotlight, Taylor Heineke is that guy. All eyes are going to be on him in a pivotal spot for the commanders. How do you perform in prime time in a very big game, a playoff implication game? And how do you look 
to the rest of the team who, I mean, excuse me, to the rest of the league who is thinking about considering you as a bridge option for their team or somebody who can compete for a starting role with whatever other quarterback they have on their list, on their roster, et cetera. Spotlight starts against the New York Giants. And with that being said, you can't afford to, like, despite what the playoff playoffs look right, because obviously after the San Francisco Seattle game and San Francisco winning, clinching the division, um, and Seattle losing, uh, you're in a space overall where um, win or lose, you're still in the playoffs. So from that perspective, you don't have to win this game. However, losing this game puts the onus on uh, tiebreakers, Circum- circumstantial stuff, like where we're like you have to have a better NFC record. You have to have a better divisional record. You're head to head. You have to have a better head-to-head record, um, et cetera. All these other factors that you have to play into account at the end of the season. So if you don't win this game, you lost all control of uh, what the outcome could be, especially against the Giants. The, the Niners uh, in Dallas are two different things, but you cannot go 0-1 out of the bye week. At the end of the day, that's what it matters from a team perspective. But for Taylor, biggest stretch of games in his career, I'm interested in seeing how this thing plays out for him. Um, I think outside of that, uh, Chase Young, personally, if he doesn't play against the New York Giants Sunday night, I think that he'll probably get shut down. And I think that he should get shut down, um, for the rest of the season, three games left. What is that? What is that worth to your team? Um, what is that worth for Chase Young? Um, Jack Del Real spoke about him, you know, uh, Thursday, about you know what he wants to see out of Chase and things like that, and he didn't provide too much information, but he did uh, bring up the fact that you know he had to just make sure he was comfortable, um, and that when he got the quote unquote green light, I don't know where that's from, what green light he's talking about, because from my understanding he was clear from the doctors. So is the green light like a mental thing, or do the coaches like see that he's mentally holding back? So who knows? But. Again, when he said he saw that, when he gets that green light, he thinks that he's going to come in and be effective. Slight stuff from Jack Del Rio. But if he doesn't play this week, there serves no purpose of him playing the rest of the season. Uh, excuse me, this team has performed well with uh, without him. I think the only thing that is nerve-wracking is, again, seeing Montez Sweat and James Smith-Williams in concussion protocol. Because at that point, if you lose two guys – you have to, two guys who are uh, very big in your rotation, very big in terms of the chemistry, and now you have to put in William Bradley King and Shaka Tony. Um, assuming that Chase Young isn't around, that's where things become a little bit more of an issue or, or a question mark because the Giants on offense is the Daniel Jones and Saquon show. That's it. That's all they got. If you give them the, uh, the lanes and ability to, to make moves in terms of on the ground, then that's where problems lie. Um, Saquon is explosive. He has created a lot for the for the Giants in that run game over the past few weeks because the offensive line has not been able to do that. Um, obviously, we know about Daniel Jones and the headaches that he has caused over the past few years. Um, regardless of who is his offensive coordinator and head coach, he's been causing headaches for the commanders. With teams led by Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera, so those two are going to be the biggest keys, the most important keys for the commanders moving forward. 
um, especially this game Sunday night. Um, but again, Chase Young, not a big deal uh, with three, four games left. But uh, James Smith-Williams and Montez Sweat are unable to play due to being in the concussion protocol. Then that is something to monitor. And that is something where I'm thinking uh, could be a bigger deal than than what we anticipated. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice is probably expected to be on track to play. Um, we'll see. But if they have him back, I really don't have any doubt in my mind that Washington wins this game. Like, I don't have any doubt. Right now, I, I still think that the Giants are going to keep things close. Um, but the reason why Benjamin St. Juice changes my perspective to the degree in which it does um, is because uh, you eliminate the the uh, the thinness while it's still going to be thin with Ben playing, but that cornerback group specifically is thin, and you struggle when Ben is out to find a solid slot cornerback not named uh, Bobby McCain, right? Like, that's kind of where the issues come through and and where uh, if you get Ben St. Juice back and you could permanently put Bobby back in the slot and kind of rotate and maneuver from there as, as opposed to looking at Danny Johnson or or Christian Holmes, like that is beneficial as well. Um, so Benjamin St. Juice should be coming back. Um, hopefully so. Uh, and I think from the interior standpoint on the offensive line, like we talked about Taylor, don't need to circle back to that, but Taylor uh, is, is one thing, but if you cannot get this combination right moving forward for these last four games, then that is a problem. Wes Schweitzer maybe end up playing center. Uh, from what I understand, Trey Turner is okay. He's good to go moving forward. So where does that leave Sam Cosme? Um, does Sam Cosme come back in at tackle, or does he come uh, back as a reserve role behind Cornelius Lucas? Question marks. Um, I don't think Cornelius Lucas is that great in pass protection. So what is that? Like It kind of evens out. You can go ahead and put him back in a reserve role and put Cosme back in the starting lineup. That gives you some athleticism that you may need on the perimeter, and that may work out well. So they need to figure that part out. But the interior part, if you cannot get that going against San Francisco 49ers, the New York Giants, who are immediately up next, um, and then obviously the Dallas Cowboys, uh, and then the Giants, with, I mean, the, the Browns with respect to um, Miles Garrett, then this four-game stretch is going to be harder than you anticipate. All these things are important. All these things worth consideration uh, moving forward. Um, keys to the game is simple for me. Is it really is very simple. Um, one, Daniel Jones have to stop him. Have to understand what your gap discipline looks like, your rush lanes look like. Um, because if he's going to keep taking off the way he has, then you're going to be in trouble. I think adding a spy in could help, uh, especially if Benjamin St. Juice comes back. You could do a man cover one man with a spy with your linebacker and or Cam Curl. Um and have him serve as that spy or maybe even do one robber um, and have that, have a, have a robber in the middle of the field and then have another spy, like have a, have a robber coming off the, the, the first level. One of your defensive ends or uh, drop and take away the middle of the field and then have a, uh, a spy man, something like that to keep an eye on Daniel Jones because he kills you as a scrambler. Um, and then obviously again, rush discipline, I mean, pass, gap discipline, excuse me, um, is the foremost important thing with run defense. So understand that um, something I didn't speak on last week was how Ridgeway actually was the culprit behind that touchdown that they allowed with Saquon um, trying to defeat a reach block right to the offensive right side of the football. Um, 
he plays the block wrong and has his head in the wrong place and actually gets taken out of the gap, which allows Saquon that uh, backside a gap lane to shoot through and explode for a touchdown. Um, so as much as I love Ridgeway, um, he's still young and he showed that on that one play uh, where he did not play the bro- play the block properly. Um, so yeah, gap discipline important. Uh, being able to recognize and play the blocks properly is important. Obviously, and then protecting Daniel Jones, or excuse me, containing Daniel Jones is important. Um, offensively, we know about Wink Martindale. You had two weeks to prepare for it, essentially. Um, three weeks to prepare for it, um, including the week heading into the Giants game. Um, you got your ass whooped first game. Not going to lie to you. Got your ass whooped up front. Wink Martindale uh, was able to put you in the mix. <laughs> you know, he dictated the tempo. He dictated how this game was going to be played. And um, you really had no answers whether you did do max protection or didn't. Like the protection calls just were not it. Um, you played right into the hands of Wink. Um, so how do you stop that? Another key is obviously countering and being more aggressive on the on the front end. I, I think that 12 and 13 personnel can work well with this offense. Um, from a collective standpoint, a collective tight end group, you can probably uh, run block better. But if you isolate Cole Turner, you isolate Logan Thomas, they'll probably be exposed and, and have some issues against the Giants front. But 13 and 12 personnel allows you to dictate the matchups and, and you can kind of uh, get creative because you can have Cole Turner out in the slot. You can have Cole Turner out as an isolated uh, X receiver. You can have Logan Thomas in the slot and have John Bates in. Like you can have so many different things that you can do and still run or pass the football. So I think tight end packages are going to be pretty important against the Giants, but it also is going to help possibly with your play action and help with the ability to get that pressure and those pressure looks uh, off of your quarterback and your offensive line. Lastly, Execute in the red zone. Execute when you're in plus territory. 40 and in, you have to you have to get as more, much of an ideal situation as possible. You have to execute from a pass standpoint, but you also have to understand uh, uh, from a play calling standpoint what is more ideal and what can you anticipate from Wink Martindale. And that's kind of like the chess match that's always been the case in every NFL game. It's understanding situations and tendencies, but also how you can uh, play off of your known tendencies and be a uh, an efficient uh, play caller in which I think that Scott Turner was for the most part in that first game, just lacks execution. So we'll see. 21, 17 is the game for me. Commanders win. Um, like I said, close game. I think the, the, the giants cover the four and a half, but I think that Washington takes this uh, Sunday night. Um, I don't expect much scoring again. This isn't a really a team where, um, you can predict them to score 28 plus points in a game, um, let alone 20 plus. So 2117 is the score prediction for me. Up next is the good man, Nick Filato of Giants, uh, Big Blue View, SB Nation. Uh, he is the host of their podcast. He covers the team for them. And he also is the host of the Big Blue Banter podcast as well. So y'all take it easy. Enjoy y'all weekend. Stay safe. All that good stuff. We're out of here. Peace. Nick, appreciate you joining me. Uh, welcome back. So Trapper Dive Podcast, man. How you doing tonight? Jamal, man, I got to tell you, that was one of the coolest, most in-depth videos I have ever seen to open one of these things. I am so jealous of that, man. I don't know if you put that together, but whoever did, they deserve a freaking raise. (laughs) Shout out to to Tay. Uh, I mean, excuse me. Shout out to Todd and um, shout out to my boy Montez. You know, it was a little, it took a little effort, you know. It took a little effort from a lot of people. Uh, Just had, all I had was the vision. 
and, and got the right people to get it done, man. So, yeah, uh, I, I got a lot of confidence for that, man. The music is fire. Uh, that's my boy. He actually is an artist in real life. So I just I just had him do like a little a little hook and something like that. We got it going. Yeah. Um. Okay. So y'all know why we're here. I see you in the comments right now. See money. Uh, win or go home. That is the case for all of us. Um, Giants and Washington. Uh, Nick, let's go ahead and get things started with just the journey to this point. It's the same record for both teams, seven, five, and one. Um, Washington is six, one and one in their last seven after their one and four start. And then for the Giants, two, four, and one in their last seven after a five and one start. Um, for the Giants and their story, I always see them as competitors week in, week out. They always compete. Um, just been on the short end of the losing, uh, short end of the stick in terms of the last seven games. Uh, what's been the story behind this 2022 Giants, in your opinion, uh, led by the, the new head coach and Brian Dable? Yeah. So Brian Dable, I feel like Giant fans are still very optimistic about the direction of this team under Joe Shane, who is the new general manager. It's a complete overhaul from Dave Gettleman, who was in the previous regime and Joe Judge. But no one expected the Giants to compete. This was supposed to be the rebuild year, the evaluation year of Daniel Jones, of Saquon Barkley, who remain to be free agents right now, which is a whole nother topic for maybe another day. But the Giants come in and they open up their season six and one. They go for two in week one and they defeat the Tennessee Titans in Tennessee. And that was a huge deal. You know, it takes a lot of stones to go for two in those types of situations at the end of a game. And it worked out for the New York Giants. And the Giants were beating teams that presumably were pretty solid football teams, right? The Packers, who aren't that great, as we found out. The Baltimore Ravens, who might not be as good as we originally thought either. But they were competitive and they were well coached. And I still think they are. But now they are pretty injured on both sides of the football. Their effectiveness running the football has declined significantly, which has definitely affected the overall ability of the play action passing attack. So I think before the bye week, Daniel Jones was, I think, the number one ranked quarterback per EPA uh, on play action passes. Now he's about middle of the pack. I think he's about 18th. And I think that's one of the primary identities of this offense. There's not a lot of huge playmakers besides Saquon Barkley, who I don't really believe is right at the moment. So the Giants have kind of been getting really creative using Daniel Jones' athletic ability, rolling him out, whatnot, things of that nature. And it worked up until a point. Seattle, game before the bye week, Seattle was just dialed into what the New York Giants wanted to do. Every time Daniel Jones tried to roll out, Bruce Irvin was right in his face. And I feel like a lot of uh, teams have adopted what Seattle did, and the Giants haven't really found a way to establish any sort of consistent offense. We saw it against Washington in the second half. Giants went three and out three drives in the second half and then a four and out and John Feliciano took that really stupid penalty, the flexing and the giants ended up uh, tying that football game, which really felt like a loss on, I think probably both sides. Let me ask you a question. Yes. I'm I'm glad you brought that part up. Let me ask you a quick question. A side note was that penalty where he was flexing. Did you all talk about that after the game? Like did, did it look like he was flexing to his teammate who just happened to be behind commanders players mm-hmm. and and they called the flag thinking he was taunting on taunting towards like commanders players yes so i think he was flexing at darius slayton but regardless of the fact it's just stupid there's no reason to put yourself into that situation so it can be perceived that he's doing it on washington's players i don't think that's what he was doing but yeah. i just think it's a really dumb thing to do for a veteran guy like john feliciano what what is the so as you mentioned like both teams uh, felt the type of way, probably the same type of feeling. But what surprised you, I guess, is, is the way I, I would say from the game, I, I, if we would have put a different spin on it. Um, like, for example, like Washington, 
Uh, I mean, for for several reasons, it's not like a it's not like a plain black and white comment, but for several reasons, had issues attacking the Giants secondary, who uh, had their their guys injured in terms of Adoree, and obviously that the, the main guy was um, Fabian Moreau, who who used to play here in Washington, but like Washington wasn't able to attack the secondary uh, like some people anticipated, given the matchups, given that the Giants love to play man coverage, despite who's out there. Um, and, and the fact that Washington's receiving core is perceivably better in terms of a, a versus situation. So like what kind of surprised you uh, from a Giants perspective from that game and how, uh, whether it's for good or for bad, just what kind of surprised you from that matchup? I think it was, I don't know if it surprised me because I, I want to get your opinion on Taylor Heineke in a second, but Taylor Heineke left some throws out there. There were times when the Giants were just beat. Logan Thomas was wide open for a touchdown and he just airmailed it. There was a times where Terry McLaurin would win on these inside dig routes over the middle of the field. And I feel like Taylor Heineke and I respect the kid, but I do not feel like he is all that accurate. I don't really believe too much in his overall arm talent, but he just seems to have that sort of unquantifiable it factor about him. So the Giants came out and they ran a lot of man coverage as they tend to do. They didn't blitz as much as they have blitzed other teams. I think they blitz north of 30, 38%, which is a lot comparatively to other teams, but the Giants blitz like 51% of uh, opponents drop back. So it wasn't necessarily like the Giants were necessarily blitzing, but they were still getting pressure because Aziz Ojolari was back healthy yeah. and Kayvon Thibodeau was coming into his own. Dexter Lawrence is an absolute beast. I think guys like Nick McLeod and some of these younger players in the secondary really just held their own until that that drive where where uh, Curtis Samuel caught the fourth and four, which was an amazing play by Taylor Heineke, yeah. a great throw by Taylor Heineke as well. But other than that drive, and then you had the missed tackle by Fabian Moreau that led to the touchdown for Terry McLaurin, I felt like this young, beat-up secondary performed pretty solidly against what I would consider a very talented 11 personnel package. Yeah, um, it's interesting. And in, in, in terms of Taylor, uh, I think a lot of us, and it's so it's so weird. I'll just put I'll put it this way. It's so weird because um, we get into these arguments uh, from a, a commander's community fan base, whether it's reporters, um, people who cover the team national uh, or just within the fan base altogether. We get into these arguments about uh, Taylor Heineke and who he is. But then secondly, uh, we get into these arguments about, you know, Sam Howe needs to be playing or or Carson Wentz needs to come back in. Uh, because because uh, Taylor Heineke isn't really getting the job done. Uh, to what you're seeing, Nick, from uh, the outside looking in, you're not wrong. Like he does this a lot of times throughout uh, the course of his games. Um, now, granted, he has stretches, but I think the the stretches that you're talking about are spot on. Again, like it for in order for a Heineke to really be on, it has to be crunch time, two minutes left, four minutes, four minutes left in the game, something like that, four minute situation. And we're going to go ahead and put the ball in Taylor Heineke's hands because at this point we ain't got no choice. And 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 for him, like he lives and relishes in those moments, and that's where you see his best football. Um, but outside of that, like he is one of the more spotty quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of his accuracy. Like I, I think that he believes, like he he he's really good at understanding like the playbook. The playbook isn't uh, an issue with him, but um, sometimes what he's saying on the field it, it, it gets him in trouble, whether it's from sailing footballs or whether it's really from uh staring down Terry McLaurin and 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 despite what the coverage tells him where he needs to go with the football um and then the biggest thing lately has been about like his scrambling ability uh but in terms of like a passing side and and who he is as a as a passer yeah you're not spot you're not you're not off at all like you're you're, you're spot on in, in kind of understanding who he is as a player um he does you don't really 
you rarely see a full complete game from the quarterback. Um, and that's really been the issue from every single quarterback that Washington has had for a long period of time. Yeah. Outside <laughs> really Kirk Cousins, I would say. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Outside looking in to me, what Scott Turner wants to do is have Taylor Heineke throw the football 26, 27 times a game. You guys establish the run with Brian Robin Robinson and Antonio Gibson and kind of get things going in that manner. Now watching the Giants defense and how you guys just consistently ran counter against that's what you do to defeat the Giants defense. They can't defend the counter because they don't have the linebackers with the instincts to position themselves to fill. And it puts a lot of stress on those contained defenders. And every time you see 51 out there, Aziz Ojolari, as much as I respect Aziz Ojolari for his ability to rush the passer, he's still a work in progress as a run defender. I think you guys are going to come out with a similar approach. And I can get your opinion on this as well on just trying to run to the outside and get, as I call it, five yards every time Brian Robinson touches the ball. That guy's a five-yard machine, it seems like. He's just <laughs> always getting at least five yards. That kid, I love them in college, man, and I think you guys got a player. He might not be the flashiest or the sexiest, yeah. but I, I really have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, he's getting comfortable, um, and I think that's the the biggest thing. Obviously, we know what he went through like right before the season started with Brian Robinson, and um, like it took him some time. Like it was a point where, matter of fact, AJ on the show, and, and I can say it because he said it on the show, but um, AJ just really didn't understand why Robinson was back on the field at one point, um, just yet. But I, I really think it was just a matter of getting his legs under him and, and really feeling like what type of comfortability is Ryan Robinson in terms of like uh, his feel for the pro game, his feel for taking on contact, uh, his feel for understanding like the the block schemes uh, that that Washington was running in. Uh, for what you're saying, the counters, the trap, like they ran, they ran trap. I think at the end, like that, the Curtis Samuel run, the big run at the end of the game in overtime. That was the first time that they really ran it. But the the point is, like the power, the counter, all those things have been uh, something that they've been using ever since they realized the interior offensive line is a little limited. Um, and I think you saw that more in particular in the past game. Um, and, and that's kind of what really hurt them. Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams had their way in front in terms of the interior. Obviously, we know about Aziz. Um, and um, who was the other guy that was giving Kayvon? Kayvon. I don't know how I forgot Kayvon's name for a second, but um, like and obviously that was a that was a byproduct of also uh, uh Martindale being able to actually you know scheme some pressures up, which was good. But point being back to the run game, yeah. I I really like Brian Robinson, and I really like the whack, the fact that Scott Turner has found a way to uh, stick to the ground game. Um, it may not be his first choice. He may be the, co- the the coordinator who wants to throw it 35 times a game. Um, and, like, who knows? But, like, the, the formula over the past three years under Rivera and Turner has always been a successful one if they're able to establish that uh, 45-55 uh run pass ratio or something where it's so close and not necessarily heavily favored to the pass game because this has never really been the strength here in Washington despite the weapons that they've been trying to get uh, on the perimeter and that's a product of the quarterback position you believe yeah um so like Carson obviously as we know Carson has a strong arm um in terms of this year specifically I'm speaking of everybody um but Carson this year they had a vision they had an idea um and like his I will say this too, by the way, Nick, I don't think now for this week, it has to go really, I think it has to go really bad for Carson to see the field. If he ends up being the, the backup to, to Taylor, 
Um, but I, I don't think that his season is over just yet. If, if Taylor continues to play the way that you even noticed um, in your observations. Uh, however, uh, yeah, Carson, Carson is the guy that they envision can really press defenses and, and threaten defenses the way that Turner wants to get it done. Um, but like at the same time, it's really, and I think this is going to be like my biggest key for the game. And, and actually for our last four stretch, given who we play San Francisco, Dallas, um, and then obviously Miles Garrett and Cleveland, um, like when you realize what you did to your offensive line in the offseason by not really paying attention to that interior and not really trying to get some help, some solid help, and, and not you know go to some retreads that you you knew in Carolina, um, that that are clearly limited in today's in today's game. Uh, it's not but so much you can really do downfield because you don't have the pass protection to get it done. So like uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of variant factors, and I and I think you were able to see that in that first game the way that um, Norwell had his troubles. Um, and obviously the way that uh, Cornelius Lucas, who has been in place for Sam Cosby on the right side, uh, he's had his troubles against uh, Ojolari and, and Kayvon. Yeah, that third and what was it? Third and long sack by Dexter Lawrence that knocked you all out of playoff or knocked you off playoff out of field goal range was uh, a yeah. was devastating towards the end of the game. Yeah, got uh, Dexter had himself. He had himself a day. Um, spent good, a couple man. double teams. Uh, had had several pressures. One of the ones that you're talking about, where where Taylor missed a had a bad a bad throw. He had Jahan Dotson on the over or crosser, uh, probably like 20 yards downfield, and Dexter Lawrence creates some interior pressure, and he's able to escape like the edge pressure, but then runs into to Dexter on a throw and just overthrows a wide open Jahan Dotson for like 30 something 30 something yards, and, and probably a bigger day, bigger day at that. Uh, who do we have in here? Okay, all right, bet. So AJ just joined. AJ's names are hilarious. Um, I want to get this question in, and I'll I'll get the floor to AJ right quick because I have to I have to grab something. Um, but we have a question from Al too. Um, he says he wants to know about what you think about Dayball going ultra conservative in the overtime last game. Um, we used to we used to that Ron. I think he missed the word. My bad. From from here, but oh, we're used to that. I'm tripping. Yeah. <laughs> We're used to that from Ron here, but how was it as a Giants fan seeing uh, your head coach all of a sudden uh, shrink? Is how he described it. What was your What was your thoughts on that? Yeah, he's taken some criticism for that. I would say. I think the more conservative approach that we're seeing from the New York Giants right now is due similar to what Jamal was saying. The interior offensive line is a real issue, and there are times when the Giants have tried to dial up deep shots. And trying to run under center play action has been such an issue for this team because Mark Lewinsky, somebody that the Giants signed in for agency, has really struggled. And Evan Neal, who first game back was against Washington, I felt like he had a really good game. But then against Philadelphia, he gave up two sacks and I think like eight pressures. So he's another player that's been struggling. So I think the Giants have just uh, not been able to do what they want to do from an offensive philosophical perspective in terms of attacking the intermediate and deep portions of the field consistently because protection issues. And it's yeah. it, a whole conversation too. Like everyone's like, why isn't Saquon Barkley being used as a receiver more? It's because the giants call a lot of six, sometimes seven man protection. Like the giants are out there in 12 and 13 personnel 
more than I think a lot of people would like. Now, they're 11 personnel, I think around, around like 60% of the mm -hmm. time, but they're in winning scripts, man. They just want to run the football and get the hell out of there. Like everything is built around Saquon Barkley. But right now, as I said at the top of the show, Saquon Barkley has been ineffective because the offensive line can't block, and that's going to affect the play action passing attack. And what are you going to do from there? I feel like Mike Kafka, the Giants offensive coordinator, discovered something that he didn't really use against Washington until overtime. And that was just quick game passing concepts. He used slant flat twice to yeah, Isaiah Hodgins. Yep, the slant flat eight. Both yeah. every time they just ran it down the field and we couldn't stop it to like the last time. <laughs> exactly. And I think we're going to see more of that. I think that's uh, something that the Giants kind of some meat the Giants left on the bone was just quick game passing concepts to the outside because Darius Slayton also had one to open over time for like 11 yards on the what should have been the game winning drive. Possibly if Feliciano doesn't flex, that was like an 11 yard gain off yeah. just a quick, simple curl. I think they have to simplify things. And just kind of attack, especially because you guys run so much quarters. You guys are in cover four quarters like all the time. Attack that space. Just attack that space. And I think Kafka kind of saw that towards the fourth quarter. And I'm hoping that he kind of calls those types of plays now uh, in this second matchup, this pivotal matchup. So last 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 week, I think um, I'll just ask, like, because there's this conspiracy, and I'm not put, holding too much weight on it, so I'm not going to sit here and, and act like it's a huge thing. But uh, I, I'll just say, what are the injuries looking like heading into Sunday? Because um, some people believe that uh, Giants could have been holding out some players against Philly to get ready for the matchup against the Giants. I mean, excuse me, the Commanders, given that Philly is all the way up there in the playoff picture. Yes, that is an interesting conspiracy, yeah. but... I think the only player that really fits into that would be Leonard Williams, right? Okay. And he suffered the injury against Washington. So I don't think he was 100%. He's practicing in a limited capacity now. So it's looking like he more than likely will play. We'll have to wait and see what you know tomorrow's report on Friday says. But I don't really play into that. Adoree Jackson yeah. more than likely is not going to play. Xavier McKinney still has his freaking broken hand. So the, the injuries, the, the key injuries that the Giants have, they're probably not going to be back other than Lenny, who only missed the one game because he, quote unquote, as he likes to put it, has Tiger's blood. So for me, and I guess I got a couple more questions for you, Nick. And like I said, I mean, I appreciate you joining me. So for me, Washington, biggest thing, like Sunday or two weeks, two Sundays ago, it was just Saquon and Daniel Jones offensively. It was the Saquon show, it was the Daniel Jones show. And, and the biggest thing that Washington struggled with and has continued to struggle with since Daniel Jones has been here in, uh, in the division uh, is, is stopping him from a scrambling standpoint and from a run, a run design and, and play design standpoint. And uh, he had his way, at, at least in the first half, uh, and, and had his way often in that first half and really kept drives alive for the Giants. Um, what is that one thing that you're you're sitting here saying from a Giants perspective has to happen in order for um, them to get the win against the, the Washington Commanders Sunday night? I think they have to get the run game going and the quick passing attack going, get the football out of the hands of Daniel Jones. I just think it's going to be difficult to get the run game going. They tried to run a lot of counter similar to what Washington was doing against the Giants, but even so, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen still had their way with splitting the narrow creases to get into the backfield and like force like negative four yard losses for the giants. So that would be one thing. I mean, I know they're going to try their play action bootlegs, play action rollouts. And I appreciate the fact that Daniel Jones is going to use his legs whenever he doesn't love what he sees. Sometimes he might leave some plays on the field when he does that, but it's not putting the ball into harm's way. I would like to see Daniel Jones, maybe use all of his arm talent. I think Daniel Jones can make every 
every single throw in the NFL. He doesn't have a Justin Herbert or Patrick Mahomes type of arm, but he has arm talent. I don't necessarily see him challenge. And this is something I see Taylor Heineke doing, who I don't think nearly has as much arm talent as Daniel Jones. I don't see him challenge the sideline a lot on those like deep seven routes, those deep corner routes, especially if they're to the field side. I rarely ever see him doing that. So I would like for him to threaten every inch of the field to really make the make the opposing team respect his arm talent. Cause I do think he has it. I just don't know if he has the confidence sometimes to maybe use all of it. It's that's, that's a fair observation. Um, and, and I think is what, what do you make of uh Slayton? Cause I, so for me, when I watched, I had to, I mean, you, you know, you're in the, you're in the discord, <laughs> um, but I had to watch Marcus Washington um, while he was there with New York and, um, as I watched that, I, I think that, or my observation was he's only really taking shots downfield to Darius Slayton. Um, and, and that's really been in, I don't think that's a huge issue, but I'm, I'm saying to, to your point, um, is there something where, uh, he don't trust his arm, he doesn't trust his player or his teammate, excuse me, in certain situations, or is it like a combination of, um, I don't think I can make this throw, but I definitely do not want to try to make this throw with this player out there. I, I would rather make this throw or try to make this throw with Slayton if he's running this certain route. Like, how, how do you view the the comp the combination of those two possible um, issues? Yeah, I think in an ideal scenario, they want to take that deep shot to Slayton because he's probably the best in the 50-50 category in terms of receivers with speed. Because Marcus Johnson, they have him out there. He plays like six snaps a game. Yeah. The Giants will roll out the formation where they have both him and Darius Slayton outside the numbers. And it's like, oh, they're going to run a play action deep shot. And they do. Whenever they think they have the defense in a middle of the field close look and they can isolate a cornerback in a one-on-one matchup, they'll take that shot. And they did it twice, three times against Washington, mm-hmm. two in consecutive plays. And uh, I thought the uh, on the broadcast film, I thought the throw by Daniel Jones was was off. And then I saw the all 22 and I was like, maybe if he put a little bit more touch on it, it would have been better. But Darius Slayton just kind of stopped his route. I think Darius Slayton on that play did not realize that the deep third defender stuck with the horizontal cross and that he had all that space to operate from the numbers to the sideline. I feel like if Darius Slayton knew that he would have ran underneath that ball caught it and the Giants might have won that football game. Instead, it ends up going down as a drop. Next play, Daniel Jones tries the same thing. I felt like it was a pretty solid play by the cornerback to ride him off the red line to the sidelines. But I don't know if it's a lack of confidence. I just think the Giants want to put their players in the best position to succeed. And Mm -hmm. Darius Slayton is that guy. He's that speed guy. And I wish he was a little bit more efficient with his hands because drops have been kind of a a big bugaboo for him throughout his entire career. And, and literally, <laughs> I, I, I was gonna chime in. out. <laughs> never mind. Uh, we had RG3 make that mistake of the word, what he wanted to say, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but uh, nah, Nick, we appreciate you coming on the show. And I'm sorry, I, I'm a little bit behind. Uh, I guess I just wanted to jump in real quick before your time ended with us and um, just state that it looks like Giants are starting to get more familiarized with the wide receiver addition from the Buffalo Bills and Isaiah Hodgins. Uh, I expect him to be a key factor for your offense uh, Sunday's game uh, over Darius Slayton. I just feel like that that size and his route running ability is something that they're becoming more familiar with. And Daniel Jones, how do you feel about his addition and, and role in this game uh, coming Sunday? 
Yeah, I'll touch on Isaiah Hodgins, then I'll answer Eric's question, which is up on the screen. So Isaiah Hodgins, to me, I don't feel like there are a lot of six foot four, 209 pound wide receivers just sitting around on practice squads who are as fluid as he happens to be. And let's he's not Julio Jones or in his prime or anything ridiculous like that, but I think he has a place in an 11 personnel package in the National Football League. I don't know if you saw that route that he ran against James Bradbury on the double move, the stutter and go on the third and I think it was five or third and 10, whatever it was, where he sold the inside break so damn well that James Bradbury bit on him. Bradbury's a good corner. We know him well here in New York, but Isaiah Hodgins toasted him. For a guy his size, he's he's kind of fast, I would say. He's not, you know, he's like a four six guy, but I feel like he plays faster than that. But most importantly, and if you want to be a receiver in Brian Dable's offense, you need to be smart. You need to be able to know how to run routes and where to be based on the coverage that is in front of you. And if you watch a lot of the Giants tape, Isaiah Hodgins, anytime he sees those quarters looks, this is another reason why I want to see him run quick game. And he sees that apex defender expand with the slant flat. He's just going to sit right in that voided zone, catch it, and then just go. And I appreciate that about him. He's tough as nails. He can go over the middle of the field. He can take the big hits on the deep digs. So I'm a, I'm a fan of what I've seen from Hodgins. I'm going to have a piece on him coming out soon at Big Blue View. If anybody wants to check it out, I think he's somebody that the Giants can re-sign this season and he can compete for a roster spot next year. Presumably the Giants will add more talent at the wide receiver position. But I think the intelligence of these players is one of the main things that Brian Dable wants. Smart, tough, and dependable. That's the mantra for the New York Giants. And I think that's one reason why they they drafted Wandale Robinson top 50 because he was so damn smart coming out of Kentucky. Unfortunately, he tore his ACL a few weeks ago. What, what do you think about Daniel Jones uh, continuing to next year? Now, obviously, Eric, um, he is on his last year. They didn't pick up his fifth-year option, so they will have to kind of make a commitment. Um, I, I'll get a floor to you in terms of what you think may happen if you are on the side of bringing him back, but I'll get a floor to you um, in terms of uh, next year. Yeah. So in terms of next year, I think the Giants should sign him to a two year deal, maybe three that they can get out of after one year. So a really team friendly type of deal, maybe somewhere around like 25 ish per year. If they are not interested in any of these young quarterbacks coming out of the class, I have said this and I, and I still maintain it. I don't think Daniel Jones is the quarterback of the future for the New York Giants. I, I don't think you tie up big money into a player like Daniel Jones. I like Daniel Jones. I think he checks all the type of boxes of like a hard worker, first in, last out. Everybody likes him. Everybody respects him. Tough as nails. But he doesn't necessarily have the my desired upside that I think I would want in a true franchise quarterback. And I wouldn't want to allocate a bunch of dead money in two future years into a quarterback like Daniel Jones. But I think just because of the options the Giants have in front of them, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they decide to bring him back on a team-friendly type of deal that they can get out of if they do end up drafting somebody that they like or acquiring somebody that they think can really execute this Brian Dable offense, maybe at a higher level. Because I think in some ways there are limitations with Daniel Jones because I don't, and I think the offensive line definitely, you know, is one reason why it has not really worked fully here. I think he's never really worked with great weapons or an offensive line, but uh, at the end of the day, I think if you want to, consistently compete for Super Bowls. I don't know if Daniel Jones is your guy for that. Um, So last thing, uh, I want to give you the floor, man. Again, Nick, I appreciate you for joining us. Let the people know where they can find you, read from you, and hear from you. Uh, and then obviously we got to know who wins uh, the game and why. 
Okay. So you guys can find me on Twitter at Nick Falato. That is F-A-L-A-T-O. You can check out the podcast I do with CBS's Dan Schneier, Big Blue Banter. I, all my writing is at Big Blue View. I'm also on the Big Blue View podcast network with Ed Ballantyne. And in terms of the game, Jamal, man, I think, and I don't like this, I'm going to go with Washington. I think Washington wins this game. I think it's going to be gross and ugly, and there's not going to be a ton of offense. I'm going to go with a 24 to 21 win for Washington, which is more offense than I think I would actually imagine. Yeah, I'm about I, to say, we ain't scored 20 in a, over 20 in a long time. We're consistent. Yeah, he scored 20 against us, but yeah. it's, uh, I don't know, man. I think the floor might fall out for the Giants a little bit on the back end. I Like I said, I like some of these these pieces that they have in the secondary, these young kids, but only as kids, only as developmental depth pieces, not guys who are going to play 50, 60 snaps for you. So that's an issue. And the fact that I just believe that Scott Turner is going to go right back to the well of running counter. I don't think the Giants can fit it. I don't think the Giants do a good job fitting. I think they put so much on Julian Love's shoulders because Xavier McKinney is not there. And you have Nick McLeod and, and, and Fabian Moreau going up against Terry McLaurin. I just I just don't think it's necessarily a recipe for consistent success. So I think Washington wins this football game, but I'm hoping the New York Giants do.